You guys just want to sit on the floor. Oh, I can bring some chairs for you. I'm here. Sat's here. You guys can sit. We need a Canucks pod banner. What do you need? You can go to the washroom. Stop fighting. Is the Canucks Pod with Satyar Shah and Alex All. Welcome back to another edition of the Canucks Pod, the first of 2020. Alex All, then I'm Satyar Shah. Well, Happy New Year, Aldi. What's happening, man? Not much. 2020, New Year. It's crazy. I know, and like you know, uh, you went back east for a bit. You were in sunshine, and you're back, going, back going to east. get. I went to Calgary. That's that back? It is I east, suppose. but like... Yeah. No, you're east, out west. Well, I guess it's because I grew up in Ontario. That feels like back east. But yeah, Calgary for a few nights. Mexico for six. Mm-hmm. Back in Vancouver and uh, back to the rain. And hey, ready to go. Ready to go. January, hockey's back on. It's good to see. No, oh, it's it's nice to have the Canucks back at it again. Unfortunately, the seven-game winning streak has come to an end. But hey, every winning streak must come to an end at some point. But the way the Canucks lost to Tampa Bay, 9-2, uh, has some people worried a little bit. But more than anything, Aldi, I want to ask you about any time in your career where you may have been shelled as badly as Markstrom and Demko were last night. The other um, night. You know, it's there were a couple couple rough ones absolutely um it it is funny though like if it's when you start talking about shutouts or big wins you remember everything you remember the details the big losses it, it's hazy it's vague i guess i just block it out of my memory a couple things stand out to me early on my second stint in ottawa early on that year we actually rebounded really well from this but we had two and paul mcclain he was the first year head coach in the nhl at the time uh, he just come over from Detroit, and he dubbed them the two touchdown games where we gave up seven goals. It was like two two games in, I don't know, three, a three or four game span where we gave up seven goals against. And I remember we had like sort of a season ticket holder event, and we were really struggling opening the season. And we had those two games, and then and then we kind of rebounded and we rattled off a couple wins. And he kind of referenced them as the two touchdown games. Since that point, we bounced back. So one of those games was mine. Uh, not very good. And the, but the one that stands out the most, it's funny, when I came into the station today, I was talking to Scott Rintoul and Craig McEwen a little bit about it. There was one game I played for the Boston Bruins in Washington. Tim Thomas started. A couple quick goals. Matt Cook, another newcomer, picks it up on the run. He scores! Matt Cook! A lightning bolt! 32 seconds in! with one of the best goals against averages in the league. Tremendous save percentage. And the Capitals have managed to figure him out early. Matt Cook, this man here, 24 in the red, started it. Closing in, Bradley! Fires and scores! 4-0 DC! I went in. A couple more quick goals. Seven deliberately along the half board. Back door, score! We've still got about 55 and a half minutes left to go, Joe. But a missed assignment by the Boston Bruins. Nobody knows where Alex Ovechkin is. The pass from Semin, stick on the ice. No chance for all. Tim Thomas went in, back in for the second. Rich shot, score! 
Donald Rashier from a sharp angle, and the horrific night for Tim Thomas continues. And then I went back in for the third. We each played twice in the game. That's pretty rare that each goaltender sees action two times and, and not injury-related. And what I remember is being on the bench, and I can't remember if it was right near the end of the second period or right at the start of the third period. I, I think it was right near the end of the second period. The game's out of hand. I don't know the <laughs> score. But I remember I'm back on the bench now, and Claude Julien comes down to me, and we're, we're playing, I feel like, the next afternoon in Philly. And he comes down and he's like, all right, we're not going to skate in the morning. I want you to go back in for the third and use that as your morning skate. And I looked at him and I was like, <laughs> I wanted to say, no, I'm, I'm good. Uh, so I went back in and I feel like I let in another two or three goals. I don't know what the final ended up being. It probably was close to nine. It was maybe eight. Cook, who started this nine-goal onslaught to the front, they score. There's 10, provided by number 10, Matt Bradley. I'm sure somebody will will at me on Twitter and have gone and researched it that year. But uh, so that would have been uh, 07, 08 Boston Bruins in Washington. And I remember, and Washington, that potent offense, everyone in red, it's just those guys were rolling. Um, their power play was crazy. Uh, and that was not a good feeling. But I, I do feel like I want to say I played well the next day in Philly and we, we either won or it was a really tight game and, and we bounced back from it. But Sometimes those games happen. I mean, sometimes it's things just don't go your way. Um, it's interesting. I was in the car last night for that game and listening to it on the radio. And it was like, get in the car and it's like end of the first period. It's a tight game. And then boom, it just like exploded. And as your point to Andrew Walker, you tried to make a funny joke about Anchorman and that escalating in a hurry, <laughs> yeah. and he sort of gave you a token laugh, but it was <laughs> it gets it gets ugly, man. It's I don't know it things get away from you. Well, it happened in a hurry, and yeah. you know the Canucks actually played well considering they're on the road against the most talented team in the East. And I still, even though they don't have the best record, I still view them as the most talented hockey team, maybe in the league, definitely in the Eastern Conference. And when they're rolling, they're tough to stop. But the Canucks held their own. They took the lead. They came back and tied it at two in the second period. They were playing fairly well, all things considered. But as soon as Things started snowballing. They just it just got away from you. You can even see it from Jacob Markstrom's body language, and that's one of the things I wanted to get into it with you. Because no matter how good you are as a goalie, and no matter how good of a run you've been on, when all of a sudden it all crashes down, and you kind of mentioned this to me off air, and once you get that, you know, once you know you're about to get pulled, it's like mentally you already checked out. And how hard is it to get that back in a game like that when you're already allowed five or six goals? Well, it's it's difficult, right? Because you. You, if, if the game, I believe that if you're giving up a lot of goals, but the game stays tight, you can maintain your focus about, okay, next, next shot, next save, because there's consequence to that next save, right? Like if it's like those, those games where you see the Canucks like win seven, six, like the game last year against Colorado, that big famous game. And, and even this year, there's been some high scoring games, wins or losses that are, that are tight. Those games, yeah, they're not going your way as a goalie, but it's like, all right, I have a shot at redemption. It's like, I can make a big save, whether it's late in the third period or in overtime and still get the win. And there's, there's a reason for it. When, when the, the score is so lopsided, it is really difficult to stay focused because it's like on one hand, all you want to do is crawl under the ice and just disappear. But at the same time, you don't, you don't want to quit. And Jacob Markstrom is anything but a quitter, right? Like he's a fierce competitor and somebody who would, in some, on one hand, want to see that game through and but at the same time, you realize long-term, it's, it's probably better to just get out of there and, and step back and, and not have to uh, just have a chance to reset, especially when he's played as well as he has. 
but it it is so difficult to because some things happen, right? And and it just like in a game like that, it seems like nothing's going your way, especially as a goalie and pucks are bouncing in and some of them are some of them are great goals, some of them are are weak goals, some of them are unlucky goals. Even even it's like I I thought that play when they came down, they went off the crossbar, then they ended up scoring, and then, oh, no, that goal actually counted. Now we have more time to score more goals. It's just like that even in itself because it's like you got beat twice and it only counted for one. It's almost like this bonus negativity mm. going against you. It That would have been a really difficult game for sure to play. And 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 then on the other hand, the other feeling, the other emotion as a goaltender is sitting on the bench watching the game get away and then how your sort of adrenaline or whatever it is you're feeling, it's this nervous energy of like, okay, I think I might play, but I don't want to play. Right. This, I don't want to go into this game. This is like, and you can just see it and you can feel it building. And every goal that goes in, you're kind of like, okay, is the coach looking at me? Do I look to the coach? Do I <laughs> do I try to pretend that I, like I don't know that he's staring at me and going to tell me to go in or whatever it is? And and it's it's this weird dynamic that occurs. And and Demko has to go in and he doesn't doesn't fare much better. I mean, it, it's it's just one of those games. It got away from the Canucks. And to me now, I look forward and because it's what happened earlier this season, I think, is they got off to this really good start. And then things snowballed the opposite way in a hurry. Part of that was injuries. Part of that is, is a little bit of confidence and just losing losing your mojo, losing that feeling. So my, my thing is, okay, how do they respond, right? And not just the next game, uh, against the Panthers, but going forward, the next few games, this road trip could be could be a really pivotal point in the season for the Canucks because, despite all their success, they're still in sort of a precarious situation, and and despite their their really good run around the Christmas break, they're still in a spot that it's it's not like they're they've got this stranglehold on a playoff spot. You can say, oh, okay, a couple of game slide isn't a big deal. You could quickly see it going the other way again, and especially with a young group who's had this sort of up and down season, you're not quite sure what to expect in terms of their response. That's something I'll always look for in a team after a really good stretch, after a poor stretch, after a really bad game against. How do they respond? Well, Travis was saying post-game lot the other night that coming into the game, the guys were fired up for it. That there was good buzz on the bench. They played well for the first half well, of the game. Two, two teams riding seven-game right. winning streaks. Like it's, yeah, and, yeah, and the guys felt it. And then he said as soon as it was 6-2 heading into that third, they were all disheartened. He could feel there was a letdown with the team and, and how they felt uh, in that game. And obviously that's human nature. I understand. And how good, you know, Tampa Bay is, they're going to make you feel, you know, that way when they're up 6-2. Because it's not like you're facing, you know, one of the bottom tier teams. You, you probably know as a player, you're, sick, you're down 6-2 on yeah. the road against a team that's won 7. It's Tampa Bay. You're probably that's not lusty. coming back. You're yeah. not coming back in that. You yeah. know that like, as much as players don't want to give up, but mentally... That's what it felt like the guys knew. They're like, oh, well, we're not coming back in this game. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. And so you get it's it's the it's the difficult thing, but it's also the beauty of the National Hockey League, right? Like you play you play so much. Um you you play every night or every other night and you you're on the road, you know you're gonna get a shot at redemption. You're gonna get not necessarily back at Tampa, but back on the horse and get to play again. And it's difficult in the moment, but then you have this opportunity now to sort of just reset and and restructure things a little bit. And whether it's change the lines or even just a day of, of work at practice and just kind of feeling good about yourself again. And it, I believe it's a little bit easier on the road just because of you're not there's not as many media there, um, and, and you're not you're you almost feel oh our fans didn't see it <laughs> they only saw it on TV and it wasn't like this 
you know, you don't have all the hostility of losing like that at home, which can be really difficult. So you're able to sort of be a little bit more insular in the fact that you're in a bubble as you travel around as a group and they get to go have a, another game in a place. It's not like they have to return to the scene of the crime. And, and so I think that helps you sort of move on from it. But it's, it's going to be an important little phase here. This next week or, or so is going to be important to sort of dictate the f- fortunes of the team this year. Because again, it's how do they respond to that? And do they, do they feel so confident in how they were playing during that winning streak that a blip, a loss, no matter how big or small, doesn't really affect things? They're able to stay the course? Or does that really dig in and, and expose some of the fragility in the group? And that's one of the things that I'm very curious to find out because, you know, when you want seven in a row, you should be feeling pretty confident. And I wonder, because, you know, I don't, need, I don't need to tell you this, but players always know best how they're playing as a team, whether it's good, whether it's bad. And even when you're winning, you know whether you're getting away with games or you're actually full value for them. So based on how the other night in Tampa went and how they won the seven games, because, you know, if we're being honest, Jacob Markson was the main reason and Thatcher Demko as well, that they won those seven games. And I know if you look at the raw numbers, they can tell a story about how they were vastly outchanced and outshot during that stretch. But if you look at situationally certain games and what happened, it wasn't as bad as some of the numbers indicate. So I can see how the team looks at that seven game winning streak and say, no, no, we're value for these wins. But how much will we learn about how they feel about the game coming up against Florida? Well, a lot. Like, do they... Are they are they confident in what they're doing? Do they do they try to all of a sudden change things? Do they you know? And that's that's from a structural point of view, like some from coaching staff point of view, but then also the players. Are they going to try to force? Are they do too much? There's no doubt about it. Like it, you're you're never going to go on a winning streak like that and have no luck. Like luck's going to mm-hmm. play a part in it. You're also never going to go on a winning streak like that and have full sixty minute complete team efforts where the goaltender didn't steal any any points or any wins like that that's not going to happen that's that's all part of it the goaltending has been very good and and been incredible in a couple of the games in that stretch right where it was like the team had no business even being close in a game let alone winning a game so there's no doubt about it and and sometimes what happens is that the you know the 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 pedestrian play of a goaltender that's been really riding high when they come back down to earth, a lot of things get exposed because the goaltender has this ability to clean up a lot of the mess. And so again, it's not just the group now, it's how the goaltending, how Jacob Markstrom responds, you know, whether that's, whether he gets the start the next night or not, like all those types of things, but how does he respond? My, I anticipate he'll respond well because he's he's got, he now has a track record. To me, it's less of a question mark about Jacob Markstrom it's more, okay, over over a 10-game sample, you know you're going to get pretty high quality most of the time. There's going to be the odd blip. That's okay because we see that he's he's developed into something more than just a uh, sort of a, a 1B type of guy. He's developed into a starting goaltender who's been able to give you some extreme quality at a very high end, and, and, and that's kind of what we've come to expect. But then the team also comes to expect that in the way they play, and they become to rely on that, and that is one of the traps of having some good goaltending is you almost you almost get complacent in some things because most of the time he can mop that up. So as a team and as a goalie, and a loss is a loss. It all means the same. But coming off a seven-game winning streak, and if you lose the way you lost, is that a better wake-up call than maybe not playing great and just barely losing? Or does it not matter, really? Well, I would say a couple things come to mind. A loss like that can be taken more as a one-off on the heels of a long winning streak. Like in my view, 
you can still see, oh, that this is just, it's easier to just brush off as one game as an anomaly because you've had so much success. That in itself, though, could be a bit of a trap if, if you've been getting some wins that you maybe don't deserve. It, it'll, we'll all just have to see it play out here. It's, it's so much of this is, is the dynamics and the human nature and like confidence plays such a role in it. Um, to me, though, if the team had really been struggling and then they got whomped like that, that's really difficult then to, because it's just not only is it another loss, but it's piling on and it's adding insult to injury in a way, right? So to me, like I, I see this, the group being able to get over it a little bit better, but it's not like, it's not like they've got a bunch of easy games. Like they're, they've got some difficult buildings. Like there's, there's some things on this trip and the fact that they're having to travel and, and kind of travel all over the place in a weird, like that, that's the other thing. That's a, that's a tough, that's as far travel as you got. Mm-hmm. I know they went a day early. It's not easy. Like it's not easy getting on the plane, flying to Tampa and playing. Like that's not a, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, and it's also, and then all of a sudden they play the two games in Florida, then they head up north. It's, it's like the schedule is what it, I get it. It's every, every team has points in their schedule they don't like, but it's part of the dynamics of being a, a team in the, you know, up here in Vancouver. One of the storylines like, that got overshadowed because of how the game went was how Elias Pettersson was playing in that first half of yeah. that game. Scored a beautiful goal, yes. almost set up JT Miller for a goal to start the second period. That would have given the Canucks the lead at that point again. We're giving them a 2 nothing lead at that point. And then the game kind of fell apart. But Elias Pettersson is just seemingly growing into a better player week by week this season. And as much as I thought, hey, this is going to be a year where he t- make improves on what he was last year. And the point totals are solid. 45 points in 43 games. That's 20 goals already for, on pace for almost 40 goals this season and about you know, 85, 86 points on, on total. But it's about his all-around game and how he's playing already. Like, is he exceeding expectations from what you thought he would do already as an all-around player? Yeah, I would say so. Like I, I, even, I even thought it, like it would be okay if his... His point, like assuming he was healthy, I'm not saying he was would have finished with fewer points than last year because obviously he missed some time. But like point per game went down. Like I, I was, I wasn't anticipating, but I was willing to accept a slight regression because of the fact that as a second year player and the primary offensive driver, you can be focused on more. So there's all that those aspects to look at. The fact that he's even under more pressure and more scrutiny from the opposition, he's able to still produce and, and improve that. Um, you look at it, and in, in though his. I, his his hunger to learn, his hunger to work, his ability to to adapt, and he's such a good athlete. He's so incredibly smart. He's he's gifted both physically, but also in the way he processes the game. So I'm I'm impressed at his his development curve. I don't. It's I'm not one to say okay. I I need a I predict the player to be here mm-hmm. at this time, or I look at the start of the year and say oh this like yeah obviously he needs to take a step for them to be successful and he's done that and that's why they're in the position they're in in a, in a spot to potentially end their playoff drought. Uh, he, he's a special player. There's there's no doubt about it. One thing I am convinced of the more I watch him, which which I think that there is a little bit of a risk when you watch one team so much, and especially when. You're just like you're searching for hope, like mm-hmm. so many Canucks fans have been the last couple of years. You're searching for something to to hang your hat on and something for the future. Which I, I think, some players like maybe we we over overvalue a guy like a Horvat as as good a player as he is, and as much as he's captain, like he's he was sort of the first in this group, and it's like oh that's our future, right? And so if he's alone, that's not enough. 
The one thing I am convinced of with Patterson, though, is that I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we're overvaluing him because we follow this team so closely. Like he's, in some ways, I think we actually probably underappreciate him, yeah. which is a really good thing because in it's sort of, it's flashy in a different way, but it's sort of Sedin-esque in a way. Like I don't think some people really realized in the moment how lucky they were to have the Twins um, and how, because they got to see this magic on a nightly basis, you almost become immune to it. Like, well, I expect that sort of no-look cycle game, that their dominance and that, because that's just what they do. Pedersen's kind of that way as well. I mean, it's it's impressive what he's doing, and, and that's what I think is important, is that we're we're realizing just how good this guy is, and that we're it wasn't like we were overvaluing him last season. He's living up to it and, and exceeding it. Well, last season, you you brought up the Datsu comparison for him, and it rings true. And a player he also reminds me of to some degree, and it's a lot different because this player also played for the Red Wings, took a long time for him to figure out the defensive side of the game. He could have put up 150 points if he wanted to. It's Steve Eiserman. And I'm yeah. not saying he's Steve Eiserman to that degree, but you're seeing a player who's only 20 years old already playing the right way. He doesn't cheat. He, he actually goes back into his own zone. He will start from behind his own net to make the right play. He's not worried about cheating to try to get points. He creates points despite being the first guy back on the back check, despite doing all the things he needs to do. And last season, we saw signs of that ability. This season is being actualized already. Yeah, I'm seeing that. And I also think the the it's a bit of insulation too with JT Miller on the line. Like I think that that's alleviates some of the pressure in terms of uh, face-offs. It allows him to cheat a little bit more on face-offs because he knows he's got another centerman who maybe is better in the face-off circle than he Like, there's that aspect. Also, a bit of a, a you know, JT Miller is good at everything. He's a very, very good hockey player all around. Um, and you could argue maybe maybe the most complete player on the team, uh, as, especially considering Pedersen's youth and his learning. But that helps a guy like Pedersen because it's like on a on a shift by shift basis you have this guy to kind of watch and work with and and but I agree that he is at a young age he he cares so he's he accepts responsibility on both sides of the puck which is incredibly important and and the I think it's 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 hard for people to realize how important that is when your best players care so much defensively and care so much about the right things like that is leadership whether you have a letter on your jersey or not, that matters. And that's somebody who's driving the bus because he cares about keeping pucks out of his net as much as he cares about scoring. And that, that means that when he's on the ice, it's, it's, they're not a liability. So not only are they the biggest threat offensively, but they also can, can be effective at shutting down other teams' top lines or, or at least going head-to-head. And, and it's not like you're worried about that matchup because they can't defend. They, they work hard and they care about it. And, and they're guys who, who have good awareness. And, and he's smart. He's so smart. I can't say that enough. He's... He processed the game at an, an elite level. I've heard it before. I've, I've told you this. Like, the, the, they view him as like a hockey savant, like the way he thinks the game, and that is something that's extremely rare to come across. And there's so many things when it comes to Pedersen as well. There's character we'll get to in a second. A great story by David Singh on Sportsnet.ca about some challenges Pedersen went through with some Armenian friends who got deported in Sweden. We'll get to that coming up in a few minutes here. But as far as his game is concerned, when your best player, one of the youngest players as a guy who sets the standard, what does that do for the other young guys coming up next? Because you can't really, if you see Pedersen not cheating and he's one of the young guys who's still on entry-level contract, like how do you as another rookie or young player coming in, how do you even think of cheating? Well, exactly. So it's interesting because I, it's, it's, it's the dynamic of the group. The one thing I would say is like when, when the really gifted special players, they're almost not relatable. Like 
you're a young guy coming in, you see, you know, Pedersen and whatever he's doing. It's like, well, that's, I mean, he's superhuman. Like, I can't, I can't keep up with him anyway. You're right, though. It does set a tone. It sets a bar. But then you also have that sort of work ethic and leadership through so many different areas of your lineup in terms of age and also the roster configuration where these guys slot in. So you think about, when you think about who on the outside you consider, who would you say when you consider the team? Like, who are top, I don't know, three or four hardest workers? And I know we can't know mm-hmm. that, but in terms of guys who set the bar for work ethic, who would you say? I'd say at this point, I mean, it's Pedersen, JT Miller's in that discussion. Bo Horvat works hard always, whether he does all the right things at all times, but the effort's always there. And Quinn Hughes, I mean, the guy never stops yeah. working. Well, and I would also say then a guy like Jay Beagle, Beagle yeah. right? So guys like that that are in such good shape and mm-hmm. good pros. So my point is, is it's not, and, and, and we would always, almost always jump to the, the big name guys, but there's lots of guys through the lineup that work. And, and I mean, I think underrated in terms of work ethic are guys like Edler and Tanem. Mm-hmm. These guys are consummate professionals and they're, they're battlers. So you have all of these guys and what ends up happening with a team that's in transition from and getting younger and younger stars it can be incredibly frustrating for the old sort of veterans the old grizzled guys who know how to go to war and they know how to battle and go out there and to look and see okay not only are these guys getting all the ice time all the glory and soon all the money they don't work that can cause a rift in the room but when you have Pedersen doing what he does and how hard he works and and it may be working in a different way. Like I don't imagine Pedersen's in there crushing a bunch of weights and stuff like that, but he's working on his craft and he's, and he's effective and he's respectful and all those things. That doesn't happen. You have more cohesion in your group. We always talk about character too with players and it manifests in different ways. But one of the things that's become clear about Pedersen is he seems like a genuinely good person. His teammates always speak highly of him. And that story about David Singh is a great read. If you haven't read it, go to sportsnet.ca. It's about Elias Pedersen and what he went through when three of his best friends, three Armenian, Armenian brothers who were deported from Sweden when he was like 11 years old. It's going back like almost 10 years ago now. And what his family went through to try to help getting that family back and how the community came together and how that affected him. We all have moments in our life that affect us and define us and take us a certain point. But when it comes to character itself, when you see somebody who's a genuinely good person off the ice and cares about others, how does that affect a locker room specifically? When people know there is good in a single person. Well, it's, there's a positive effect for sure. And I look at this and I, and I say, like, I, I, don't, I don't know that any of the players read this article and think mm-hmm. any differently right. about them. I think it, what, but what it does is it gives more, more context and more understanding. What I, what I, what I, the way I view it is the locker room always benefits from having good people. Any work environment benefits from having good people there. And you, the players all know what a good guy is. This is just like, wow, this is a whole other level of what he went through. This is backstory. This is... This gives some context to it all and, and this part of what shaped him as an individual. And he's such a, he's such a strong character guy. He's, and that's part of why he's so good because he has this work ethic and this ability to process and understand. Um, and I, I think anytime you have sport and the example of, of an athlete who can have some example that is easily tied to real life and it's outside of the, the context of the arena or the competition, it's incredibly valuable because... It, it gives you, it gives a sort of a link to something else. And, and this, is, this is another one of those stories that sheds some light on part of, part of the reason why he's such a good person, um, 
I mean, it's not like it made him a good person. He was a good person before or else he wouldn't have gone to those, you know, the family. It's all about where he comes from. And that story is incredibly powerful. The story of where an athlete comes from in terms of how they're shaped and built because it is that human story of somebody that people care a lot about and it, and it gives a lot of context to it. And before we wrap up, uh, one of the other storylines uh, this week was Chris Gear, who was promoted to assistant general manager in the Canucks front office. And, you know, there's been so much talk about the Canucks front office ever since Jim Benning took over with Lyndon and Benning for a long time. And, you know, Lyndon leaves the organization a couple of years ago. And then since Lyndon leaves, the team has had more success. And I'm not saying, you know, it was Lyndon's fault, but just as far as continuity goes, they promoted Chris Gear. They promoted Judd Brackett from a scout to now he's a director of scouting. He runs the scouting department. And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised that we see another title being given Judd Brackett over the next little while here because his stature is only getting bigger and bigger. People, and we even heard Edmondson this past year even thought of Judd Brackett as a possibility to talk to as far as a general manager position goes. And you know, it's easy for another team to poach a guy if they, give, they can give him another title or give him another a promotion, promotion, essentially. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised we see another promotion with, internally. But Chris Gear has been doing some work with the contract stuff. You have Jonathan Wall, who is the capologist to some degree, mm-hmm. also does some advanced stat stuff, and is, is, is a smart guy behind the scenes, and Judd Brackett. It seems like that management group finally has some real continuity and player and individuals getting into certain roles. And I wouldn't be surprised that from this point on, we see Chris Gear in front of the media a lot as the spokesperson for the team to some degree. And if that happens and you kind of start seeing some of those guys have bigger and bigger roles, what does that say for the continuity moving forward potentially? Well, the one thing I would say is that it's it's been a lot quieter, right? Like in terms of... and and. I get it. Like a couple of years, I mean, we've had we've had speculation because of contracts being mm-hmm. up. We, obviously, the discussion around Trevor Linden leaving and and all of that. But now it's there seems to be more. The continuity is important, provided it's quality, right? Like you can have continuity and it'd be awful because they're not making good decisions. The decision making seems to be getting better and better for the most part with the organization at in all aspects of player acquisition. Uh, the way I view it is is that the decisions they made this summer are better than the decisions the year before and the year before that. The year, like I, I think it's continually gotten better. Um, so I, I like the fact that there's some stability, some continuity. Uh, that is something that's imp- important, you know, from what I've heard to ownership mm-hmm. in the way things are viewed and the way they feel that they're being perceived in the market and across the league. It's also something that is important in terms of a work environment that you are, that you're stable and that it's uh, somewhere that you have, uh, you know, this, this constant hierarchy, the chain of command, who's in charge. And then it gives people time to have their vision sort of be played out and you have that, that time to let it work out. It is interesting though, because you know, it, it's, there's no new voices. They're just sort of reshuffling things, promoting people that are, are worthy of it. And I, I agree. Like, I think another, another person out in front of the camera would be valuable, especially if they're, they're able to convey a message that I think is positive. So we'll see how this plays out. But, I, you know, from my understanding, and, and, you know, we've talked a lot about Judd Brackett and his ability to, to scout. So it makes sense that he would oversee a department and, and sort of direct that. And, and you're right, it's important to keep good people. And if you can't find ways to promote them, and it's not just financial with raises, it's title, it's it's uh, responsibility, they're going to get poached. And it's such a competitive environment. You need good people around you. And what I would say the most, the 
best sort of sign of it all is it's we're not oh we're not afraid to have good people around us because they're a threat to our job. Instead, it's no, we need a really strong team in the management group, in the front office, because that's how we build a winner. I know there was a perception that essentially Jim and um, and John Weisbrot were essentially running the organization, not listening to anybody else. All they wanted was yes men. And from what I can gather the past little while, they've kind of been doing the group think thing together but also they're not just a bunch of yes men like they challenge each other mm-hmm. a lot more and i think that's an that's a valuable place to be at and initially when jim benning took over and it was with trevor linden you know both knew both guys knew with their titles lawrence gilman was there there wasn't a ton of trust with him as well but when you have trust in a management group then you're probably more willing to take the criticism and also take somebody saying hey you know what let's not do this this is a wrong decision and you probably are more willing to listen to somebody if you believe this person's not out to get you but looking out for your best interest instead well, Absolutely. And that takes time, right? It takes time to develop that chemistry and that trust. And that's something that is important. So that's why I love the continuity provided the decisions are strong, right? right. Like it's it's a positive thing when the people are good at what they're doing. So it's uh, to me on the surface, this looks like a, a good step as a positive development. And we'll see where that leads Aldi, always a pleasure chatting with you on the Canucks pod. Next week, we're going to have a very special episode. We're going to have Kevin BX to join us. Yeah, so that should be a lot of fun. Obviously, we'll talk to him a little bit about his new podcast endeavor with Ryan Kessler. So a couple former Canucks, the Kess and Juice podcast. So that's something that's pretty interesting. And it'll be fun to, to catch up with my uh, my old buddy, Kevin. Well, Aldi, always fun, buddy. Oh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. How's Sam Ald's uh, hockey career going? It's going. It's not it's a going. career. It's not yet. It's not getting paid. Not yet. No. It's just, it's a, uh, it's more of an expense. Than <laughs> a, it's not a, but that's not why you play sports no. as a kid. You don't play sports to generate revenue. Oh. You play them to uh, drain your parents' bank account. No, no it's, it's, <laughs> it is, it is fun to see the kids continue to develop and, mm-hmm. and, uh, hey, I'll say it over and over again to be able to teach them any aspect of a, of a life skill or, any of those types of things like life lessons through something a child is passionate about is so incredibly powerful. And that's the way I view coaching. It's like, it's not just the X's and O's or the technique or whatever it may be as a player or a skater or like whatever it is. It's also like, Hey, how does this relate to real life? And that's something we just touched on with, with Pedersen, but it's, there's life, there's life here. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting where we're at in the world because I think of like, know a, a team going through a tough stretch or mm-hmm. there is so much more important bigger picture stuff going on that sports can be that escape but it is important when you're in it as a professional athlete as a young player uh, whether you're at work like there's a lot of bad stuff going on and so if you're doing something you love and, and you're you're you know you're in a safe environment it's it's positive there so it's that's fun to be a part of and uh you know obviously we'll we'll see where that goes in terms of uh the rest of this year and getting ready for kind of for playoff time coming up here in the, in minor hockey but it's uh, it's been a fun ride well it's going to be a lot of fun strong words as always he is alex ald i'm satyar shaw and make sure to rate subscribe and review the canucks pod on any one of your podcatchers itunes i guess is it itunes or is it is the apples like, what uh, is it again apple podcast apple podcast That's yeah. what it is. not itunes apple podcast i, I, I can't uh, keep up uh, what was it uh, google play and it's, anything else yeah this just Subscribe and rate it. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much. We talk to you again very soon. Right here on Sportsman 650. You know, you were right about one thing, Clemens. I am out. And you're in. In the slammer. For a very long time. 
Hey, hey, hey. We did it. <laughs> <laughs>